You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I need you guys to give a little bit of a golf clap for Kyra here, my sweet wife. Anything that's going right, including my outfit, these shoes right here, they're from the influence of Kyra. Um, we, uh, we're we're uh, childhood sweethearts. We were just kids. Uh, getting to know each other on Swanson Drive. Before I was a Christian, I was part of Flirt to Convert through the 5013C3 there with Kyra. And, um, and so we were kids. And uh, so we started dating, I'd say, around 15, I think. And then um, time flies, went through college long distance, and then married at uh, 21 and, and pregnant and having a baby by 21. Um, so we went from Dawson's Creek to This Is Us pretty quick. And uh, just never stopped, never stopped. We were reminiscing on the walk the other day of, uh, that's a quick transition. There's a lot of lessons to be learned, a lot of turbulence, a lot of bumpy roads from A to Z, from Dawson's Creek to This Is Us. And um, we were talking about how she was pregnant within three months of us being married. Uh, she was the one who um, was going to school to finish up her degree. We couldn't wait to get married. And so she um, was in school. While I was working at Lou's Chinese Bistro. You ever been over there? It's a great, great spot. Might have changed your lunch uh, direction just now. And Starbucks for the insurance, uh, and it was it was a great time. Not for Kyra though. Uh, according to her quote from 2005, I smell like a mix between a frappuccino and fried rice. And when she was pregnant, she had to not she was not having it. She had her head out the Bonneville the whole way home. She was not feeling it, even in my little ninja outfit that I had from from Loose Chinese Bistro. Those were good times. Hard to hard to, hard to skip the the Krispy Kreme on Pleasantburg, by the way, on the home from right home from that. But. Um, uh, she was pregnant up through the summer, man. Any women been pregnant through the summer? That's a whole extra bonus point. It's one thing to be poor, another thing to be pregnant, and then pregnant in the summer and poor, just, you might as well just quit. And so we had these steps that she'd crawl up, and we were talking about that, how the bear crawl, she would just come home from her shift. This is now when I was in school, student teacher on the second leg of that journey, the back nine, we'd call it, and she would climb up the steps with her hands to like get, get her belly up, up the steps. She would just put her feet up on the dash of the Honda Pilot just with air conditioning. She's just like, it's so hot during that time. And uh, Rosinski was the OBGYN, the guy that delivered uh, Rose. He had these thick glasses, and you weren't really sure what he was looking at. Kind of didn't make me feel like uh, he was, he, we were in safe hands, but Kyra knew what to do. And uh, she kicked in like a champ, man. She had, I'm pretty sure, no epidurals, right? Did we just go straight for it? I feel like we just went like a champ. She was just Michael Jordan from the beginning. And um, had, had Rose, um, I remember, like, it just, like, we went in there as kids, and, like, something clicked on, and she turned into a mom, like, right away. And she knew exactly what Dugaruski was like. Hey, do you think you should push? She was like, no, I will not be pushing. You know, she just was driving the boat. It was good. Um, and, uh, and then Rose was born. And uh, I have to pay Rose $5 every time I use her in a sermon illustration. So I guess it'll be $10 today. But um, I wept like a baby. And um, why would God trust us with life? And hospitals don't bring life, man. And neither do moms and dads. God brings life. And when you hold that precious life in your hands and you're just going, who am I to hold this life? Who am I to get entrusted, this idiot, you know, to get entrusted with a sweet, precious um, daughter like Rose? And so um, Romans 8.22 tells us that we know that the whole creation has been groaning in 2021. Have you feel the, felt the groaning? Do you feel like groaning sometimes? Oh, like, 
this is just fatiguing. It's like a slow, slow groan, you know? Um, and you turn on the news and there's a school shooting, you know, and you're meeting with a family member and um, they don't know who their dad is and they've never met their dad and it wasn't supposed to be this way. And you just groan, you just, ah, there's this sigh. Romans 8 says that this isn't new, this has been the way that it's been since Adam took the fruit, that creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. You know, all the uh, sermon series these days in many churches is Revelation because it's like, oh, the world's ending, you know? And uh, you know what? Romans is telling us it's not. It's, it's been going this way for a long time. You talk to a World War II vet or something, somebody lived through the Depression, the world's always been groaning. But not because it's dying, because it's coming to life. Jesus, the creation, the one who created it, is giving birth to a new creation, a new order a new world order, a new Sabbath, a new kingdom, a new way of living. It's marching in a parade the wrong way up Main Street and it's just gathering captives to bring a new type of garden here in our midst. Do you have ears to hear it? Do you have eyes to see it? That's what Easter's talking about. And so it's giving birth, it's groaning through these growth pangs. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sonship to come out of that kingdom, to come out of that old family, that old way of life, and to be adopted into this new family. And in, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and, and there's this table that we sit around as brothers and sisters, nations, generations together underneath um, the kingdom of heaven and the roof of our father. And so we're adopted into sonship, redemption of our bodies, for this is the hope we are saved, and hope is seen. Hope that is seen is no hope at all, but hope that Hope that we have, but verse 25, but if we have hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. This is the deal that Jesus already took out the dot-com domain for uh, the new creation. Hitler wanted to call it the Third Reich. America wants to call it the American Dream. Uh, Rome wants to call it the Pax Romana, but Jesus calls it the Kingdom of Heaven. It's already got a domain. Name's taken. It's the new creation, and... Since the beginning of time, the World War II people will tell you, the Black Plague people will tell you, they'd be laughing at us, actually, how much we're losing our minds over this, you know? The world's been groaning for a long time, guys. It's been groaning since the beginning because it's trying to give birth to something, not because God's dead because he's alive. And he's leading many people into a new life and a new creation and a new Sabbath. And so he's the first, but he's not the last. He's the first son, the first real son, the first image but many will follow him. And so if the world is shaking and if you're groaning, have hope because it's groaning, because it's giving birth, not because he's dead, but because he's alive. Because resurrection brings a shaking and there is no resurrection without shaking and there is no life without travail and pains and birth pangs and, and every moment of hardship and even judgment is ultimately a moment of grace because until the final judgment, every moment of judgment is also a day of salvation that we would turn to him quickly. And whether it's 9-11 or even today, things like this, moments in time, we should be thankful because there's birth pangs and that means there's a birth that's happening and there's people being saved today. Partially because of this travail, partially because of the shaking that goes on in our economy and our politics. Because when it is that the world is shaken, we see what's unshakable finally for the very first time. There's a guy, most accurate prophetic word I'd ever heard. Everybody's get their sermon notes together about 2020. It's going to be the year of vision. It's going to be vision. We're going to the years of 2020 vision. 
this guy, not even a prophetic church, goes, he came into the pastor and said, I don't know why I feel this way. This is like 2019. I feel like 2020 is going to be a year of shaking. I don't know. I didn't hear that at all. I'd break that off. I'm not going to receive that, you know. So this pastor was talking about, I'm not sure about that at all. And I never heard a more accurate prophetic word. But in the shakable things, you'll see the unshakable. You'll learn to put your, put your house and your feet on a rock. It's nothing better than getting shaken up a little bit sometimes. Nothing, nothing better sometimes getting a little nauseous and having to spit some things out in our lives. There's nothing better than the dross coming up from the bottom so we can find out where we really are in this life and find real life. We'd set our eyes not just on the hill but on the maker of the hill to see where our hope really comes from. Then we'd be girded and then we'd be unshakable. What's better in a gift in this world than to be unshakable? I mean, who cares, right, about the stock market if you were to be girded in faith on a processional that's marching up Main Street right now backwards into the kingdom of heaven, dying for enemies, praying for the lost, forgiving our neighbor, washing feet, going last. I mean, what better, what better use of a year would God do in, in his vision than to shake us up a little bit, wake us up a little bit? And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful and hopeful this morning that um, he's not forgotten us. So, so Matthew 28 says this, I make two points about this first verse, and then I'm going to move a lot quicker than that. But it says, after the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath day, the rest day, the Jews practiced at dawn for the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And all of the accounts, did you know this, that all of the accounts, the first eyewitnesses of the tomb are women. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that the world was shaken. It's not a mistake it was on a Sabbath, and it's not a mistake that women were at the tomb. Matter of fact, it's not a mistake that the women were at the cross when the first shaking happened, when the temple was, you know, when the, tor- when the, when the, when the curtain was torn in two, two in, in the temple. It's not a mistake that women were there first because women, women's testimony wasn't ever supposed to be counted as valid. They were, they were the weak sides of the society. They were the um, disenfranchised sides. They were the marginalized sides of society. They were the weak. It's not, it's not an accident that he would have the weaker side of the, hum- the hum- human uh, story see and bear witness to the cross and the tomb first in first-hand accounts. There was a uh, Dave Chappelle joke that he got in a bunch of trouble for. I don't think he cares anymore, I guess. He just kind of says stuff. Comedians can't really say much anymore, but he said, everybody, you know, um, he's like, I'm about equality, and, and I want to see um, uh, equality, but, he's, but he basically said, everybody's a fan of it uh, in terms of uh, roles within society until LeBron James comes to the WNBA and scores 450 points a game. You know, that's kind of what he said. And he says it kind of tongue-in-cheek, and, and it does make sense. Um, you know, there has been in the last 100 years, 150 years, for the right reasons, uh, a reorientation, a reassessment of, of um, gender roles, you know, and how, how husbands and wives get along and so forth, and even within the church, and it does need to get, get talked about. The reason why it's offensive to us, though, is because we mistake weakness for inferiority. The reality is, is that a woman as a helper um, takes on the role of the azer, the helper is God. God is my helper. So the reason why the world looks as, at women as, as weak and why that title feels itchy to people is because we equate weakness with inferiority, but weakness is where God lives. Weakness is where he meets us, you see. It's not, it's not an, an offense to men of men get your act together or women, you know, are weaker, and so he's trying to, you know, point out women or men. The point is, is that whether it's a man or a woman, he meets us in our weakness. Like, we all have a certain party trick. Like, we all have a first lead-in handshake that's a little strong, and it's tough, and we know how to make a, a crowd laugh, and we, we have a sport that we're great at. We have a joke that we can tell. We have 
a person we've met, we've had a trip that we've gone on, and that is our strength, and that's not where God meets us. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to make it evident and clear that we always remember that it's the weakest sides of our society and the weakest sides of our citizens that find Jesus first. It's in the AA meeting that we meet him first, right? It's no use in arguing the apologetics of it if the person's soil, the heart of their soil, the soil of their heart, rather, is not prepared, and it's prepared by weakness. And why would we be shaken if not only to be made weak, that we would call out to somebody that's strong? This is what he wants us to see. He said, I'm not here to meet your strength, man. I'm here to meet your weakness. And so uh, the second thing I want to point out is the fact that this happens on the Sabbath. There's 68 mentions of the Sabbath, and almost every really great, important thing that Jesus ever does happens on the Sabbath, and there's a reason for that. I'll read some of these passages in Mark 1.21, for example. It says, they, were, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he starts teaching. The beginning of the ministry, he rolls up the scroll. He says, the prophet Isaiah, these point to me. These prophecies were filling your hearing. Sits down, drops the mic. On the Sabbath, he's trying to make a point on a certain space and time on the Sabbath. Mark 6, 2 says, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom that is given to him? How are such mighty works done in his hand? Lastly, Mark 2, 28 says, So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a seven-day cycle, right? From Genesis, you guys remember this, or 1 and 2, where God set the day apart holy. He blessed not only the people, the animals, but he blessed time. There's a sacred time. And if we abide in the rhythm of the Sabbath, the six-in-one rhythm, at least the Jews in that promise, in that law, would experience the blessing. Because how many of you guys know that you can have a quantity of time and no quality at all? And so the Sabbath is a reminding, reminder of that blessing. But Jesus comes, and it says again in verse 1 in Matthew 28, that after the Sabbath, the dawn of the first day of the week, this is when he decides to open up his tomb. Jesus, in the book of John, has seven major miracles and seven major I am statements. And just like God said, let there be light and let there be heavens and earth and stars and, and, and land and sea. Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the water. You know, I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. And then on the seventh day, in a, seventh day in the garden, doesn't it make sense that the dawn of the day after the Jewish Sabbath is the first day of a new creation? And so thousands of Jews would change their Sabbath to a Sunday. And why we res celebrate Resurrection Sunday on a day like this is because Jesus created an eighth day. He created a new creation, a new processional that's leading forward down the streets of Main Street. And it says there's this violent earthquake in verse 2. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolls back the stone and sits on it. I mean, is that just not the bossest angel move ever? Like, I want that dude as my angel. Just, just you know, leaned back on a stone like it was an Ikea futon, sat down on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid they shook like dead men. Notice the, the earth shook, the tomb shook, but not because Jesus needed it to shake. He was already gone. He didn't shake. It's like the way that Darrell was talking to us this morning. The tomb wasn't shaken for Jesus to prove it. The tomb was shaken for you and for me that we would come and see it. He wants us to see it, not just spectate it, but participate in the resurrection. And so the tomb shakes. And it says that the guards were shaken like dead men. So this text is, is coming to us today to show us a juxtaposition of the gospel. The strongest, right? The epitome of Roman strength. The guards that represent 25% of the globe, right? Underneath their boot in imperialism, in Roman imperialism, are shaking with fear while these women are filled with joy. What is he doing except the scandal of robbing and, and kidnapping and, 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 and taking um, captives in his train? 
in, into a new creation, into a new kind of a Sabbath. It says they shake like dead men. This year has been, has been shaky for uh, many of us. And uh, it's been shaky for me. In 2019, I, I ran a marathon. I was feeling great in 2019, man. I was drinking smoothies. I was losing weight. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. I was on top of it. I'm, an, I'm a self-made man. Boy, 2020 got me, though. I'm going to be honest. snuck up on me. Man, I can't even, like, get my schedule on time. My, my, my brain's all off. My emotions are all off. You know, my, my movie deal got messed up because I can't go to the movies now. You know, can't go to can't go to uh, Applebee's or whatever it is you do. You know, it's like oh, my whole little thing got, got messed up. And it's, it's funny how in a minute you can feel invincible and the next minute you feel completely vulnerable. We're fickle, fragile human beings. I mean, we're inches away from the sun burning us alive, right? And we're Iron Men and Triathlon this and we're tough and strong and Rocky Balboa. But dude, if you take away, you know, you change my route to work, I'm messed up. I'm wobbly on the knees. I'm just screwed up. My whole balance is off of equilibrium. I'm fatigued. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I'm just snip, 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 snip. Just tired. Fatigue. They call it the COVID fatigue. Anyone feel the COVID fatigue? And so when you, when you get shaken, you realize your strength is not what you think that it was. And, and you realize that a lot of times the things that you... Um, that are resources for God to give you energy, like community or, or, uh, or walks, right, outside or going to stores or whatever. Those things are resources. We treat them like sources. And when they get robbed from us, we don't have our source anymore. And we realize where we're standing. We're standing on shaky ground. And the line between work and, and home gets messed up. And now all the things that I used to love to escape from my world with, like my phone and my YouTube and you know, watching church on TV or whatever, man, that got old pretty quick. There's a word in the Bible that just basically says he'll hand you over to stuff. Like, you know, you got something, you love it, it makes you feel great, and you depend on it, and then every now and again, he'll just take it away from you, and he'll hand you over to that thing, into that resource, to the things that you thought were a source. And this is, what, this is what Romans 8 is telling us about that. He says that I consider, this is the Apostle Paul said, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's being revealed. But he's teaching us, and he's trying to show us the shakable from the unshakable things, for the creation was eager with expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is the deal, is that um, he, wasn't, um, he wasn't making me shaky in this last year. He was revealing my shakiness. The, the chasms and the fractures within my marriage and with my family, they were already there. They were just revealed. And so for the revealing of life in our lives, oftentimes it's precipitate, precipitated by the revealing of death in our lives. Like, we don't have a tomb unless there's a cross, unless there's a burial. And the resurrection life, I mean, this isn't like just a stork that just gets dropped out of the sky. It says that the sons of obedience that have the spirit inside of them give birth to it. It's going to be painful. And every time we have a resurrection, there has to be a life. And so here's my little hypothesis about the guards here. The reason why they shook like dead men is because they already were. They were part of a world order that was going the opposite direction. And they got collided with the angel from Ikea that sat down on that stone with him that day. Ephesians 2 tells us that anything that's not founded on the rock of Jesus Christ is dead by definition and by category. As for you, you strong one, you one that is self-determined. And, and, and Somebody asked me from the sermon last week, what does a child mean? It means to be weak and small, right? But that's not where we live. We don't live weak and small. We live with our five-year plan. We live with a great wardrobe 
and our A to Z deal. And he's, he's confronting that, right? Because he's saying that's dead in you and you can't have life until you give it a funeral. And so he confronts the shakable things in our life because they're dead. You were dead in your transgressions. And even those that are coming to life still have dead parts that are getting pruned off of us. Even today, we're getting pruned. It's painful because it's good. And in verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of the ones who are now working in the sons of disobedience, the other side. And so this, this year was death to our plans. I mean, I know that it sounds silly and it makes us seem, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit naive or whatever or, or Pollyannic to, to talk about it this way, but there was, there was deaths, you know, we had to come to terms with um, not being able to go to school the way that we thought that we were going to go to, you know, not getting the job that we thought we were going to, not living in the place that we thought we were going to live, not, you know, the honeymoon of what our marriage was going to be and the, and the perfect kid in the perfect house. It got shaken up, but not because it's trying to scare us, because it's trying to save us. And it's trying to confront every part of the old world order that it would die because it's already dead. And then when it was dead, if it was buried with Christ, it might be resurrected in us, right? And so we would see that early enough when we can turn, turn early and often. And I don't even know, maybe some of you guys here or certainly people that you know, maybe even experienced deaths in the family and confronted not just the deaths of these practical things, but real serious spiritual questions about where they're at with death. And when you're all alone in a room and you got nowhere else to go and you got nothing else but your thoughts, you start doing some thinking about your own mortality and fragility. You start thinking about things you don't like to think about. I mean, isn't that what it is, right, that we're itching under our skin? We're forced to look at the corner and think about something rather than run away from it because there's nowhere else to run. And some of us had to really think about some of, our, some, of our, some of our spiritual realities that we live in, the emptiness that we find when we don't have our friends to, to talk to. When we don't have the ability to, to zap in and out of our phones and we're just on our phone the whole time and we're handed over to that thing, the emptiness of that feeling. You felt that, right? And it would, be a, it would be a curse if it led to judgment, but because there's grace and mercy today, now is the day and the hour to turn. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe. Because of that, that place, God has awakened many people because when you realize that you die, you can give yourself a funeral so you can finally have life in him and surrender to him. And that's why we shake and that's why we tremble and that's why we groan. And so the angel tells Mary, or not Mary, tells the women, the women disciples who are weak, not like the guards, who are the left hand of humanity, not the right hand of humanity, the women get it first. And it says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, because the very same things that are going to strike fear in, in the hearts of those that depend on their strength is going to, feel, is going to fill weak people with faith. He's going to, he's going to infiltrate and, and, and occupy the minds of people that depend on their own strength with fear, because my strength isn't working the way that it used to, but those that are weak that never put trust in their in their own things anymore, in their own strength when they were weak before him, they get filled with faith, right? So this is the, these are the women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus and he is crucified, but he is not here, he is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And Jesus told the woman, come and see it. This is the idea that resurrection is not just a spectation thing. It's a participation thing. And it is like uh, walking death in reverse. We don't, we don't really get the idea of resurrection. Like to us, to see Jesus you know, walk through those doors right now. Resurrected would be like a zombie movie because it's just so foreign to us. Like when you die, you just die. You don't come back. And if you come back, that's weird. But we forget that we didn't create the world and the creator said that life was eternal. It's never supposed to end. That death was never supposed to be a part of life. And that's totally backwards to us. And so when we think of people that are dying and coming back to life, it's like my wife, you know, Kyra, when she's, you know, in the kitchen, I realize like if I come up too close, she's ah! 
just scares her, you know, jumped. And so we, we, get, we get worried about that, you know, but this is what I'm thinking, like, well, how do I explain this? Like, what does it really look like? I, I saw this super confusing Inception kind of movie called Tenet. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, but basically it's this crazy sci-fi movie. I can't even, my head's probably going to explode if I try to explain it too much. But basically the premise is that there's this movie called Tenet, and basically some of the characters are moving forward through time, and then the other characters are, are, are moving backwards through time. It's crazy. I don't, you're looking at me like, my head just exploded. This is so crazy. It's like a Coldplay video. That's the easier way to explain it, right? You know, <laughs> coming back to the start. Except I just didn't like that Jesus was walking backwards, you know, because he's the one that's walking forward. Isn't that the, po- the point? We're the ones that back, they're going backwards. And from the moment that he rose, he started going backwards against the great creation to take us right on back to the garden. That's where he's headed to undo divorce, to undo death, to undo cancer, to undo, you know, racism, to undo injustice, to do all these things, right? He's undoing death. He put death to death and reversing its sting. He's reversing death right now. He's going backwards the wrong way on the highway. But he's going the right way. We're going the wrong way. You know, I can't recommend it yet because I haven't seen it, but The Chosen Season 1 was pretty awesome. I mean, it's just an expression. But I just want to show you this picture um, that, that helped me understand it this morning. But this is the picture. That green little fish is that backwards Messiah. What do you mean you're a king and you died on a cross? You crazy? What are you talking about? You wash people's feet and love your enemies and, and pray for people that spit on your face. What are you talking about? That's the wrong, dude, you're going the wrong way. You're see planes, trains, and automobiles. How does he know which direction I'm going? You're going the wrong way. But he's the only one that went the right way, man. He's the image of the firstborn. He's the only Adam. He's the true Israel. He's the one that's going the right way. We're the ones that got it wrong. And he's leading a death in reverse, a processional of death in reverse, back to the original Sabbath, back to a new garden, a new Eden, a new heaven, and a new earth. That's where we're headed. We're going backwards. We're not just going to beam up. We're in labor pains going backwards with that creation. It might get hard. It might get tough. It might get, it might get nauseous and wheezy, right? But he rose, though. Buddy Rose Doe. Why he bled for me, I don't know. He rose, Doe. Colossians 1.15 says, the son of the image of the invisible God is the firstborn, but he's not the last. There's gonna be many people that follow him. He's gonna empty hell and empty the grave because of what he did. The son of the image of the invisible God, he's the first one, but he is not the last. And so what's so important about resurrection? There's three things that happen. For those that look in the tomb and they consider the eyewitnesses and they consider the science of it and they consider the history of it and they consider not just the mythological idea but the historical fact. If that tomb's empty, there's some reckoning to be dealt with in our hearts and minds. There's implications to that thing. First of all, it means that he is who he says that he is. That any man that would believe unto him, he is the son of God and any man would not taste death but have eternal life. If he rose, that means that there's others involved. Number one, it means that he is who he says he is. Number two, that he holds the keys to death and the grave and anyone that would fling their life on him and trust him would follow him right out of hell into the kingdom of heaven, out of death and into his marvelous light. And number three, that he leads a processional backwards up Main Street just to flaunt and feast in the presence of his enemies. There are three things that are true of you. And if you know it, I want to remind you. And if you don't know it, I want to tell you and preach it to you. The very first thing is if you trust Jesus, not tomorrow or not after you get your act together. Come and see as you are. Ephesians 1 tells you you are forgiven. There are three things that I want to tell you about and remind you about or tell you for the first time. Anyone that flings their life on Jesus and believes in his way to be buried with him in a death like his and raised to him in a life like his. Anyone that would call on the name of the Lord, confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, they will be saved today. And that means, number one, that you're forgiven 
You're forgiven and you're filled and it's forever. Those are my words today. Three, number one, Ephesians 1.7 says you're forgiven. You're forgiven for the sins that you know and the sins that you don't know, the sins you've committed and the sins of omission, you are forgiven today. And your restlessness has a lot less to do with your retirement. It has a lot more to do with your past. It has a lot more to do with the way you look at yourself in the mirror. And Jesus says, no matter what you say about yourself or anybody else, that in Christ, you're forgiven and you're clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what Ephesians 1 said. The scripture says, and he says it, it is as he says it is. Number two, if and as you trust Jesus for your salvation, a great transaction happens where he was treated as you so you could be treated like him. He became as you were so you could become as he is. And you will be filled with his spirit and the old man will die and a new man will die and you will begin to see the kingdom of heaven transform you from the inside out. He will not let you go in this endeavor. He will transform you and he will give death to an old man and give life to a new one. Ephesians 2 says that when you believed, you were marked with a seal, a promise of the Holy Spirit, it's stronger than any other governmental seal. It was a deposit and a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. You could call on him and confess with your lips and believe in your heart, and today you'll be forgiven, and today you'll be filled, and today you'll begin your forever friendship with Jesus. This is the idea. We were made for eternity. Much of the angst and the drama and the, and the anger that we lash out on people has to deal with indefinitely and, and somehow indirectly with our fear of death. It's the idea that there's not enough to go around. And if we don't fight against death, then no one else will fight for us. And so that this looming drumbeat going the opposite direction down Main Street is telling us that death is at our back. And that, that gets to us more than we think that it does. Even Christians, it gets to us. If we don't preach to it enough, it gets to us more than it does. But Ephesians 2 says this, And God raised Christ, seated, uh, raised Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places, in the realms with Christ Jesus. It wasn't just spectating his participation, verse 7, in order that the coming ages might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness through Christ Jesus. So I was 16, flirt to convert, and my Bible, my teen Bible, and 1 Corinthians 13 said that love is patient and love is kind, and it does not envy and it does not boast and it is not self-seeking and it's not rude, and all the other things that everybody walking down Main Street doesn't do. And C.S. Lewis says, that the apologetic argument to that is that why would we hunger? Why would we know? Why would our spirit even speak to us about a scripture like that if it wasn't hungering for something that existed that we'd never tasted? Why would it be in Japan and China if we're all just biological accidents that everybody knows that it's dishonorable to throw your buddy out in front of a bullet to save yourself, but everybody knows it's honorable to throw yourself out in front of a bullet to save somebody else. Everybody knows that love is to lay down your life for somebody else, but nobody does it. How would we know to hunger for something that we haven't tasted unless it existed somewhere else? This is what C.S. Lewis said. I mean, I have the words for it, but I knew that this thing was calling me, and this was, this was my confession. This was my moment that I was being drawn, and that's the idea. It's not about the special prayer. It's not about the emotion in the music. It's by the Spirit of God that people are drawn. And if people are drawn, nobody can resist that. Soil of the heart is turned and the seed gets deposited. And that's it. And so, so from there on out, you know, I was forgiven. I was forever filled with the Holy Spirit from then until now. And I'm walking with him. I believe I'm, I, as much as I can and often fail to follow him down that main street, the wrong direction with him, up until a new creation. And this is the experience. This is the experience. And so that's why the invitation this morning, and I'm going to read this last part of the passage, is to come and see 
not just to come and spectate. And if, and if you're skeptical, the invitation is to come and see. If, if you don't think you need Jesus, you just need an extra little buddy in your life or something, just come and see. He'll show you the rest. There's, there's much he can do with even a mustard seed of faith, is what Jesus says. And if you were to go grab one of those prayer journals, then for 30 days, just talk to God. Just come and see. Grab a prayer partner. That's the idea. It's not just to write down your thoughts, but grab one other person and read the scriptures and have your questions and have your doubts. Bring your doubts. Sometimes Oswald Chambers says that a man that's doubting is just a man that's thinking well. And those questions are actually going to lead you to the real tomb as opposed to the fake, glossy, Americanized or modernized one. They're going to lead you to the real one. And heaven help us if that's what we need, the real one, rather than the American or human-made one. Join a group. Get started. Just start the conversation. Because, yeah, you have a lot of doubts, but you know what? You also know a lot of stuff's true, too. So build on what you know, even if you don't know it, and move towards it. You deserve it. And, you, you, you know, you owe it to yourself and to your family, at least to yourself, to come and seek it out. And if it ain't real, then just walk away then. But he says to come and see, because if you'll come and see, you'll taste. If your heart was pure, if you really sought him with all your heart, you'll see him. And you'll believe, and you'll see him, and you'll see him and believe, and then believe and see him and some more. But the reason why we don't see him, and some people see him everywhere, but some people can't see him anywhere. It's not about the eyes and the optics. It is about the heart. When you're looking for Honda Pilots, you'll see him everywhere. And when you look for the fingerprints of God, he is everywhere. The scripture, the prophecy, the testimony, the people in this room will tell you, if you come, you will see. That's my invitation to you. And so, it says, go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You know the tomb isn't just to come and see, it's also to go and tell. It is a celebration to go and tell. They're not hanging out, singing kubaya at the tomb. Jesus ain't there no more. Why would you look for the living among the dead? Got to get going. Down the streets, Main Street in Simpsonville. Show them what's up. Show them he rose, though. And so he says, now I've told you, so go and tell them. Go and tell the world. Preach the good news. Go, go, go into all the nations and preach the good news to everyone. Ollie's already sleeping. So the women hurried away from the tomb after they, they left, and they were afraid, but yet they were filled with joy, not like those soldiers, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and says, greetings. You know in the Aramaic here that the word greeting is the same word for grace? Of course it is. Of course his hello is grace. Because when you turn to him, he's right there. Because he's always been there. And as soon as you turn, as soon as you, you, you come to see, as soon as you open up your heart, just even a little bit, he's right there. Greetings, he says. Grace to you. Peace to you, he says. This is what he says to his children. I mean, it's not like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and all these other kings. He's the son of man who doesn't rule like a beast. He rules like a human, the truly Adam. The right fish and the right pond go in the right direction. And he speaks to your heart and he knows you. And as soon as you turn, you're going to find everything you need, all the things that you angst for and long for. You're going to find his grace if you turn. And they came to him and they clasped his feet with their own hands and their own eyes and not their parents' religion and their doctrine book, but with their own heart and eyes. They grabbed his feet. And there's no other treasure in the world greater than grabbing the feet of Jesus. And they worshiped him and Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers what you have seen. The world doesn't shake because it's trying to make us scared. The world is shaking so it will save us. And not just from politicians or the evil around us and above us, from the evil inside of us. It's going to start the procession, the parade, right out of here. Because it doesn't just drop out of the sky like Dumbo and the stork. It comes out of labor pains. 
It comes out of a backwards-facing swimming salmon right there, just up that stream the wrong direction. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be tiring, and it's going to be fatiguing, but he rose. And the tomb is empty, right? And, 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 so, and so we make that juxtaposition. When we look to the hills, we realize that even higher, there's a maker of those hills, and we find our hope in another place. This is the promise of John 3.14 before 3.16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up in the way that the other kings of the world don't do on a cross, he'll be lifted up in his glory, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. They'll be forgiven and filled forever. Forgiven and filled forever. I mean, if you just want that, like forgiven and filled forever, it's just because of faith. Just to follow him, you would be forgiven and filled forever, the promise of heaven, of this new creation, right in the middle of the old one that's been giving birth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life in him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He didn't shake us this year to condemn us. He came to save us. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because he wants to save them. He wants to bless them. Because he wants to wake people up and wake their neighbors up. And because we don't wake up and get saved unless there's a shaking, there's no baby without a childbirth pain. Without a, without, a, without a push, without a contraction. And this is where we are, right in the delivery room, right? Right in the middle of this new creation that's coming forward that we would march down Greenville and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news that you would be forgiven and filled forever in his name. And so there's two different ways that we can approach the tomb. We can approach the women or the guards and that will make all the difference whether or not we're filled with fear or filled with faith today. Are you going to come in your strength or your weakness? I mean, have you... Have you found the strength yet that, that overcomes the cancer and the grave? I mean, if you have it, then go for it. But I'd go with the guy that rose from the dead. That's probably who I'd go with. And the tomb is empty. If the tomb is empty, it means he is who he says that he is. It means that he holds the keys of death and Satan and hell in his hand. And it means that it's not just participation. Many will follow him into glory. Many will follow him into glory because of what he's done. And so I just invite you with these Three invitations, the first one in the passage, you know, is to come and see. And maybe you've been messing up this year, and I'm just telling you, just come and see. Just come and see if he doesn't meet you with a grace. Come and see if he just doesn't love you more than anybody has ever loved you before and, and, and never forsake you the way that even your own spouse and your own self sometimes will forsake you. Come and see if that's not true. James 5 says, I mean, you pray. People, people were healed to him that never followed him. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you get healed. And he's saying, James 5 says that if, if you confess your sins to one another, he'll heal you. And if you come to him, if you turn to him, he'll heal you, he'll forgive you because he's forgiving. If you're skeptical, James 1, 5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, then just go ask him for wisdom and see if he's wrong. If you're smart, if you're skeptical, if you've got issues, right? Then go to him and read it out and go talk to somebody and process and pray because it's not a mental thing anyways, it's a spiritual thing because you're not a body with a soul, you're a soul with a body. And God came to speak to your soul. And, and, and James will tell us that he hears every prayer and every cry, and if you ask him for wisdom, he'll speak to you. And if you're seeking, if you've gotten shaken, and you have a grandpa that followed Jesus, and you want to be strong like him, but you're nothing like him, Jesus says that grandpa wasn't strong because of grandpa. Grandpa was strong because of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and tired, because welcome to the club, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first invitation is to come and see. The second invitation I have for you is to go and tell. 
And I would just invite you just to tell your story. Go and tell somebody your Bible 1C3 flirt to convert story. Just tell them that Jesus is good and pray for people so that you might pray with them. That's your whole role. Go and, go and tell what you saw. But maybe one of the most important things we can invite you to do today is to believe and confess. Because in Acts, when the man asked uh, Paul how to be saved, he didn't say, go and get your life right. He didn't say, go and check all the boxes. Acts 16, 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling for Paul and Silas. And he brought him out and asked, sirs, what must I do to save? Verse 31, it's no simpler than that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he raised, and you will be saved. And so um, I'm going to invite us to, um, to pray that, actually, right now. And um, we're all going to bow our heads in a moment, but um, if you're in this room and, um, and a light bulb has gone on and I haven't said anything you know, super fancy to you, obviously that's the power of God. It's like the wisdom of God is to speak to our spirit, not to our mind. And if you feel nudged today and you feel a calling, then maybe today is the time to trust and believe. And so I would love if you would um, bow your heads with me and we'll do what thousands and thousands of people have done. Um, But if that's you today and you want to trust your life to Jesus, you want to follow him in the backwards procession down Main Street and you want to be forgiven and filled forever, just pray this with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, Father, I I want to give my life to you. I recognize from this year, but really all the years combined, that it's just not a mistake. There's a perpetual sense of emptiness, a hopelessness. I'm more lonely than I let on. I'm smiling on the outside. I'm dying on the inside. And you can just talk to him and just say, Father, save me. I repent of my sins. I turn from my ways. I, I, don't, I don't want to go the direction of my father and my father's father. I want new life in you. I want to be forgiven and filled forever. And so I just ask you, Lord, that you would um, save me from my, my sin, that I would walk with you into new life. Just real quick with every head bowed and uh, every eye closed, um, if you were nudged today to pray with me that prayer uh, for the first time, I'll just look up real quick. And if there's anybody who has prayed that with me, I would love to just see your hand and just uh, make eye contact with me if that's anybody here. Just thank you, Holy Spirit, for your love today, for your forgiveness. Awesome. I'll invite you guys to stand up, and uh, we have a prayer team that's going to come forward. It's always a good time to pray. Uh, If anyone in here is sick, if anyone here is anxious, or if anyone here needs a touch from the Spirit today, I want to invite you to come forward and pray today to participate in the resurrection to say yes to him and take a step with him. And so we're going to have a prayer team there on that corner, a prayer team over here in this corner, and a prayer team back over there. And, and today's the day to participate. Today's the day to follow him and receive his life. And so, Lord Jesus, we just call you king today. We just say that you are the king on the throne. You're the son of man who didn't rule like a beast, but you, you led like a, like a man, like the, like the son of Adam, like the original uh, image bearer. And so, Lord, we trust you. We pledge our allegiance to you. We're reminded today that you're a mighty king and you put every other king to shame. You're the one that emptied death in the grave and we, we follow you and we boast in you and we trust in you with all of our lives as we fling it on you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. 
you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 